Food is fuel for your body, your mind, and definitely your sport. But let's face it, nutrition is confusing and the expectations on girls and women to be thin and have a six pack are exhausting. If you've ever been frustrated with your body, confused about nutrition, obsessed with eating healthy or guilty when you don't, underate, overate, or overtrained and overwhelmed with all the pressure, then this podcast is for you. Nutrition can be easy. You can take control of it, but it might start with letting go of control by asking for help and making a change. I'm Lindsay Elizabeth Cortez, sports dietitian and owner of Rise Up Nutrition, where I empower female athletes to overcome nutrition concerns and perform at their highest level to stop being confused by all the mixed or harmful messages and finally have confidence in your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. Hello, fans and listeners. My guest for today's episode is Coach Lori Hennis. She's the head women's track and cross-country coach at NC State University. She is entering her fourth year at the helm of the NC State women's track and field program, which is actually her 30th year overall as a member of the NC State track and field staff which is quite impressive. So I'm going to read off a bit more about her bio. She began her coaching career as an assistant coach for the pack before changing roles in the fall of 2016. And then in the winter of 2019, she was promoted from associate head coach to head coach of the women's team. As an NC State graduate herself, Lori was an NCAA champion, a six-time All-American, and a three-time All-ACC performer in the sport of track and field. Lori represented the U.S. at World Track and Field Championships in Sweden in 1995 after placing second in the 10,000 meters at the USA Track and Field National Championships, and she was a finalist in the 1996 U.S. Olympic Trials in the 10,000 meters. Since joining the Wolfpack coaching staff in 1992, Lori has guided NC State's female distance runners to 37 All-American certificates and 30 ACC titles on the track. This past cross-country season was a big one for Coach Hennis and her team. The cross-country women won ACCs for the sixth year in a row, and they won NCAAs for the first time ever in cross-country. In that one race, the NCAA D1 Cross-Country Nationals, NC State had five All-Americans, and Coach Hennis was named the ACC and NCAA D1 Coach of the Year. A huge accomplishment. So Lori, thank you so much for finding the time to come on this podcast and share all things running, coaching, track, cross-country, and of course, nutrition. We're excited to have you here. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'd love to kick off this conversation to just say congratulations on the win with the cross-country team this past year. This was NC State's, one of your first cross-country championships in the NCAA in quite some time. Is that correct? It was uh, the first NC State team championship since we won men's basketball in 1983. And then for us in women's cross, we won two AIAW national titles right before women's sports fell under the NCAA. So we won two titles right at the end of the AIW period. And then this was our first NCAA title. Wow. So not just for cross country, like for the entire university, this is a huge accomplishment. Yeah. Since 83, it was really cool. We have a lot of, uh, a lot of teams actually ranked in the top five right now. And so I think it's really just a matter of time before we have some other teams win. So it's a pretty friendly banter with, you know, swimming, wrestling, women's basketball right now. <laughs> uh, teams in position to hopefully have that happen. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations. And from your perspective as a coach, are there, um, I'm sure there's a, a ton of things, but are there anything that, that stands out as far as what really made this past season really successful for you? Yeah, I think, um, and I've done this a long time and been at NC State a long time. And, you know, sometimes you really just get the right group of athletes together that have a great mix of, you know, experience and talent. And uh, I've talked about this a lot in the season, but, you know, people say, oh, like winning a national title, winning all these ACC titles is fun. And it really is. But I think that we have fun all the time. And I think that kind of, like, you know, makes it a lot easier to win. <laughs> you know, people that look at the winning part as being fun, but I think it's when you can have fun, you know, working really hard at training for something kind of bigger than yourself, not just as a very individual, an individualized sport, you know, you're not, you're not passing to somebody, you're not you know, doing all the things that the, that the team sports would have. And so one of my philosophies is to really make this as much of a team sport as possible, where people, when they put the jersey on, really feel like they're doing this for something bigger than just themselves or their individual results. And so I think this group did that incredibly well. Every practice, they just worked together as a group. And so it was just really easy on race days to have that happen. So I think it was just a real mix of having a lot of athletes with a lot of experience, knowing what they wanted to do and helping the younger athletes get there. Yeah, I think it's a really good point that, you know, track and field, cross country, other sports like gymnastics, tennis, those can all feel like very individual sports sometimes, which is why I love it at the collegiate level, because it really embraces that team aspect even more. And and it makes, I think, the world of a difference, especially not just at the collegiate level, but if you can embody that at the high school level or at the professional level or recreational level, even after college, I think it makes that entire experience and it makes the competition a lot more fun. Like you said, if you're keeping it fun and enjoyable, then that competition is more worth it. For sure. And, you know, I, I mean, I think it's, it, it, it does become such this, you know, you do have to be out there on your own individually, but there is a, there is a way and, and, and college cross country is maybe I ran professionally. A lot of our, we have a lot of former athletes running professionally right now. And they all say there's nothing like NCAA cross country. Yeah. Really is like everybody. You have to get everyone to run well on the same day, everything to happen at the same time, and that's just really hard to do. And even as a professional, you can be running at these big meets, but you and even when they're, you know, I think it's really great that a lot of the 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 shoe companies are making professional groups now where people can feel a team aspect, even professionally. But it's still a little, you know, there's nothing again quite like the. 250 best people in the country doing the same distance on the same day in LA cross and trying to run on that. So yeah, I think that they, that our athletes really understand that opportunity and, and wanted to take advantage of that this year because you don't, you know, you can have really talented teams, but getting to that point in November and having everybody ready to go at the same time uh, is rare. And so I think that, again, we had enough experience in the older athletes that they understood, wow, this is something that doesn't happen all the time. And, you need to make sure you take advantage of it when it's there. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing, nothing like the collegiate teams, like you were saying. And now your history, uh, is, even though we're saying a team sport, not individual, but like you, you have quite the history with running yourself, competing collegiately, competing professionally as well, um, making it to our USA track and field national championships. You know, can you just share a little bit about your personal running history and, and why you got into it in the first place? And maybe, cause I know this is a long history, but maybe what are some of your highlights and some of your, you know, biggest accomplishments? 
Sure. Um, I was one of those. I grew up in Northeast Ohio, one of those kids that just did every sport. You know, my whole family was everything was based around sports. And so it wasn't, you know, no thought of like becoming a runner when I was young, for sure. Um, definitely tennis, soccer, everything, basketball. And also, I think in my at my high school, my high school coach, she was awesome. And she is my daughter's godmother. She was a matron of honor in my wedding. And so that kind of probably later on, you know, was definitely something that made me think about going into coaching for sure. But I think, you know, having experienced it at the high school level, the collegiate level and the professional level, it's really, that's really helpful for me when I'm understanding what these, what our women are going through and how to help them navigate that and and each different level. And, and again, trying to, trying to make sure that it stays fun. This is hard. It's a hard sport and things are getting faster and faster. And so, you know, no one's shying away from we have to work hard and be passionate about reaching our goals, but, you know, helping them navigate that and have fun with it. So, um, I mean, my, you know, collegiately, all the team title, we didn't win any national you know, team titles when I was here, but we won out the ACC title all four times. And so I think that back, yeah, of cross country was, was huge for me. And then individually track and field, I was able to win my NCAA title in, in Eugene, Oregon, which is a cool place to do it. And the fans all understand what's going on. And, and then, yes, obviously like later, my daughter won her NCAA title in the same stadium in the same event, which obviously that was a really cool moment as well. But yeah, getting to compete in the world championships in track and field, I competed in those in 1995 in Sweden. And so just have an understanding of the international meets for our athletes that that, that, that is one of their goals afterwards is helpful as well. But yeah, there's nothing like, you know, the, the team stuff, I would say the highlights, definitely, you know, the, the cross country team stuff and then putting a USA uniform on and getting able to being able to do that and compete for your country at, at U.S. championships and, and international championships is always a highlight. So we try to have our athletes, particularly if they're U20 still and can make a junior team, we'll do everything we can to help them, you know, take them to the trials, make sure they have an opportunity to do that because it it. You know, that's something that I think would be really special in running to be able to put the the USA uniform on and compete for your country as well. It is. And it's really special to have a coach like you who's kind of experienced all those different things because it's not a requirement to be a great coach. And, you know, to be a great coach, you don't have to be a great athlete yourself or have all these titles. That's not a requirement, but it it it's really nice, I think, to have that experience and kind of really be able to relate to those girls who are going through those exact things or who want to aspire to that too. And, you know, with that being said too, there's very, this is the female athlete nutrition podcast. And there's, there's very few female head coaches. We um, we're starting to try and interview all of you just to hear from you and everything, but that's another way that, that you were really relating to the girls on your team is that, you know, just being a woman, being a female. And I'm curious to hear your perspective. It's all you've ever known, but do you do you think there's, you know, differences in how your team kind of operates with having a female head coach? Yeah. And I, you know, I hesitate to say, cause I, I don't think that I, there are certainly male coaches that can understand all of these things and, and, you know, can be good, you know, role models for women coming through that and helping and building the team atmosphere and, and, you know, making sure everyone's doing it in the right manner in a healthy way. But it is, I think that there's just an, an inherent advantage for females who've been through this, that, that to understand what athletes are going through, you know, in that kind of time from high school to college. And, you know, it, everything that happens on, on the boy side, if you're younger, on the guy side, and as you get older, everything helps you get faster. And on the women's side, at times, there has to be a step back 
if somebody gets really, really good before they go through puberty or any of those things. And I think, you know, inherently women's coaches who've been through that probably do have a little bit better understanding of that or are just more aware of when somebody's struggling with that. You know, we have, it, it, things have gotten so much better just in the collegiate system over the, I don't know, last 10 to 15 years. You know, we have such a great sports psych department, a great nutrition department and people that I can lean on, you know, these things that I know, but it's really helpful to have people who that's their actual background able to step in and help when those things, you know, when we are dealing with those things with female athletes in college. Yeah. I think it's probably just that, that extra level of understanding or maybe even like, yeah, I went through that plateau or that backstep as well. And, and I just think it's important to highlight for the, the young girls who are maybe going through that period of like, didn't have a good season or didn't have a good year because my body's changing or because of puberty that, you know, there, there are head coaches out there like you that totally get and understand that. And it's not, you're not going to look down on that. You're going to say, Oh, that's normal. <laughs> well, it's, it's this really bad pushback because if things do happen where people are getting, you know, having to take a little step back or be careful about mileage or, you know, it's just catch 22 because the idea is, well, let me just work harder because, you know, things have gotten a little bit harder. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to add more mileage on right now. And it's not always the right time to do that. So I do think having someone who's gone through that, it is helpful to help, help young women navigate that. So, you know, a huge proponent of, of more women getting into this profession. And I feel like hopefully it's happening and are getting the opportunity to, to do that at this level. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, at such a big university, you have lots of resources. So you have full-time dietitians on staff multiple, correct? Three. We have three and three full-time sports psych in the athletic department as well. It's amazing. And our, yeah, sports med and strength and conditioning are all, you know, we have people who have a lot of background with this. We actually have, you know, someone in our strength and conditioning department that uh, helps female athletes figure out when the best time in their cycle is to do different workouts in the weight room, those kinds of things that are aware of that and working on that. So I think we have about as good a setup as you can have, which has been really helpful for me because you can't do it all yourself as a coach. You know, I, I don't have a, you know, I think I've got a lot of experience helping people with nutrition or, you know, if there's psychological reasons that they're not racing at a high level, but that's not my degree. And so being able to have experts on staff that can help with that has been just an, just an incredible help in the last, you know, 10 years versus the first 20 years I was doing this. Yeah. And um, I should know the numbers because this is my field. Um, but last I checked, it was something like 200 sports dietitians working at the collegiate level and across the entire country in all divisions, D1, D2, D3, that's not very many. And yeah, most universities don't maybe just have a campus dietitian who works part-time. And so, you know, this is something too for people who are really serious about running at the collegiate level. These are questions to ask, you know, what resources does your department have? Do you have a dietitian available? Um, And so for you guys to have three is really amazing. I worked for a period of time at the University of Georgia, and we were a staff of five at the time, which was the most at the time. Um, and awesome. some, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And then more recently, I contract part-time at the University of Texas, San Antonio, and I am one person, part-time, eight hours a week, all sports. I run my own business. So it's like, wow, there's so many different levels. And these are things I think as an athlete to especially if you have, if you know that you're going to need the nutrition department, I think everybody needs it. But if you know, you're going to need it, you want to make sure you're looking into a school like NC State that's really got all those resources. Sure. And even, you know, there's, there's the whole like, 
individual meetings when people are actually struggling and need to, or they're just trying to improve their performance. But there's also just like, oh, we have a dining hall that is open for just student athletes for dinner. Sunday through Thursday, free to all the athletes on on the roster. And the menu and everything is is supervised by our nutritionists. So, you know, when they're, and they, and one of them will go down there and eat, you know, during that dinner time with the athletes too. So, and you, there's so much interaction with that. You know, they'll ask questions like, why is this a better choice than this? And what's better post-workout fueling versus, pre, you know, and, and they'll be down there actually interacting with the athletes. So yeah, it's just so much, so much better and, and, and helps athletes really have this understanding that, you know, we always, I've always talked about you know, fueling for performance and just making sure you're adequately fueling at every point. But it's so much easier for me to have that conversation and be able to say like, oh, if you have questions or you're struggling with figuring out what the best pre-run, you know, fueling is and just go, just go make a quick appointment and they'll help you. And, you know, because sometimes you can read something and they're like, oh, but I'm just not comfortable eating that before a run. Is there something else that you can put there? And so, yeah, to have people to do that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And and so I think you've kind of already answered this question, but I was just going to dig a little more, like what are some ways that you've integrated nutrition into your team environment or, or pulled in the resources and the dietitians on staff to, to really help you guys out? So, you know, we're in the fall in cross country season, we meet in the morning, it's warm in North Carolina and, you know, to practice at two o'clock in the afternoon is you're just going to get dehydrated and hard to, so, so we go in the morning. And I think that uh, one of the things I've talked about with our women a lot and that we've made them very aware of is y- you can probably not be in a energy deficit throughout a 24-hour period pretty well if because our dinner program is awesome and unlimited. But, you know, we've seen a lot of issues when people are going through the day in an energy deficiency, too many hours in an energy deficiency. You know, they can maybe make up the calories at dinner, but when we're running 10 miles at eight o'clock in the morning, most people aren't accustomed to eating the amount of food they would need to after that workout to, to actually kind of stop themselves from going into this energy deficit. And so we really work on that and having things available and having fueling stations available for after particularly the morning session. And then I think, and, and what to do before that, because if you're running at eight o'clock in the morning, you're not, you know, these are college students. We don't want them getting up at five o'clock in the morning, you know? Yeah, because they don't go to bed early either. So I think, I, I, side note, I think sleep is as important as nutrition so that, you know, and so we want them to get eight hours of sleep. So they're getting up pretty close to when they're running. And so finding things to make sure that they're eating something before they're running that they can handle is not going to make them sick. And then, you know, it's interesting. We have now flipped to afternoon practice for track and we've, we've had people with just really struggle with eating too close to their, yeah, because now we're meeting at one forty-five or two o'clock. And if they don't get out of class and you know, what can they do at 1230? So we're trying to work with our nutritionist to say like, okay, when you have this break between class, what can we do it? You know, don't wait until class is over, try to get all the fuel in and then you're running in an hour and a half and you don't feel good doing the, the track workout. So because we flipped during the year, I think we, I like to have them kind of used to running hard when they're going to need to race at a high level. So that's why we like the morning practice in the fall anyway, because cross country is, you know, generally a morning sport. And then in track and field, it's generally even not really afternoon, but more evening. And so the evening sometimes or just all day long with track and field. All day long. And it's really, really challenging fueling wise with that, you know, because you're not going to eat like what you'd normally eat for a full dinner if you have an 8 p.m. race, but you have to have enough in there. And so our nutritionists will really come in and help figure out what they could use, you know, what they can do fueling wise for 
8 a.m. races, 10 a.m. races, 8 p.m. races. And, and it's trial and error. And I always tell people don't, you know, that we, but we try to do it in practice so that race day isn't, you know, I always say it's interesting. People will go, we have to stay in hotels and people will do something totally different than they do on a regular basis. And then they'll have stomach issues. And it's like, don't, you know, why would you try something different on race day? So we try to get them to practice the fueling that they're going to do, but it's hard. But I mean, the races aren't usually at 8 a.m. So they're still going to be able to eat a lot more before an 11 a.m. race than, than an 8 a.m. practice. And so it can be a little bit of trial and error, but we work with the, with them and the nutritionists and we're pretty picky. You know, when we make hotel reservations and that kind of thing, we, we work with them to say, this is exactly what we want available in the room from, and if it, if they say, Oh, we only usually do that for an hour and a half. Well, no, we need it for two and a half hours because the men's race is later than the women's race or whatever. So we, you know, we do try to make sure we put them in a position that we, we make available what is necessary. I mean, they're adults and sometimes they have to go buy it. You know, like we, we also want to them make their own choices and those kind of things, but we do kind of try to make sure that what they need to make sure they're properly fueled is available to them. Hey fans, I hope you are enjoying this conversation so far and we'll be back to it in just a moment. But first, I want to pause and let you know that this episode is brought to you by the Female Athlete System of Transformation, aka the Fast Track to Overcome Disordered Eating and Use Food as Fuel to Perform at Your Highest Level. The Female Athlete System of Transformation is my unique program and proven systems to guide female athletes to understanding and implementing the proper nutrition for their sport, life, and health. Myself and my team of registered sports dietitians work one-on-one with clients to address their unique needs and counsel them through the nutritional and behavioral changes needed. Many female athletes who resonate with disordered eating, mental guilt around food and body, relative energy deficiency in sport or female athlete triad, amenorrhea, repeat injuries due to negligent nutrition, or frankly, just a lack of knowledge and understanding on their fueling needs have seen incredible success in the fast track. After years of working as a sports RD, I've compiled the most effective ways for female athletes to learn nutrition, be supported, be challenged, and ultimately find their success with fueling as fast as possible. So don't wait another day. Get to your goals faster by joining the Female Athlete System of Transformation. Look in the show notes or head to the website to book a free call and learn more. Okay, now let's get you back to the conversation. Enjoy. Yeah, Lori, you just said so many good things that I just want to highlight for our listeners a little bit. To just like you wouldn't probably or shouldn't, I don't know what people do, but you shouldn't wear a brand new pair of shoes on race day. You want to break them in. Same thing with your food. You want to kind of train your tummy and get used to eating these foods in practice or just your normal day-to-day life. And that'll be what you eat on race day as well so that you're training your tummy to handle those foods. I think that's great advice. And then uh, it's interesting how you mentioned the morning versus afternoon practices and there's challenges and benefits to both. But I think the challenge for the morning practice, just like you said, is eating enough in the beginning of your day, because this is a huge problem that I see with my clients and just, you know, runners and athletes all around is we're really good at eating enough by the end of the day, but is it really supporting your training? And this is a huge thing when we talk about energy deficiency and issues like red S or hormone imbalances, or even just proper recovery and seeing, you know, 
adaptation to your training and to your muscles. It's like, even if you're eating the right amount of calories by the end of the day, was it in and around the time of your training when your body was really needing it? So that's huge. At the same time, it can be really tricky because you don't want to eat certain foods right before you go out and, and run and have that upset your stomach. And so I think this kind of brings up to a concept that a lot of people struggle with of like, you know, there's, I talk about it a lot of the concept of intuitive eating, or it's a concept, but it's also an actual thing of just, oh, just eat what you want when you want. But then this can be such a struggle with athletes, for the reasons we just outlined. Actually, there has to be a lot of thought and intention behind it. You, st- We still want you to eat what you want, what you crave, what sounds good, but you do kind of have to have some practice and trial and error to make sure that it also works for you and kind of has a little bit of structure to your day. And I think college athletes are definitely kind of at the height of needing that structure around their eating. But I think I think all athletes, even people who, you know, have have a job and work a nine to five, if you're training at 5am, or if you're trying to do it at 5pm, when you're done with work, you really have to think about, you know, your meal timing, the foods you're choosing. So these are, you know, lots of important lessons that your athletes are learning right now. For sure. I do think that and this has changed again in the last 10 to 15 years, uh, the NCAA rules around this change. It used, to, it used to be very specific when you could provide food, you know, had to be in relation to exactly a practice with this. And then basically those rules went out the window, which is great for us. So, you know, it is difficult for a college athlete to um, structure that, but it's also kind of even better than it is for professionals. We have fueling stations, you know, it's, it's just like the nutrition or the sports psych or anything else. We have all kinds of opportunities available, but they have to take advantage of it. We can't force people to take advantage of it. So we do talk about that with our athletes all the time. Like we work with our nutritionists to what's going to be in the fueling stations, but we can't make the athlete go down there and use the fueling station, but it's there. And so, yeah, I mean, we, I have really found over the years, I had um, Dr. Dave Martin in, in Atlanta that I did testing with as a and there was a nutritionist there that we worked with. And, you know, one of the things they talked about, there was that, that lack of calories during the day being a problem. And, you know, like for the route for RED or for um, losing their cycle, like a lot of times it isn't, you know, people actually get the total number of calories by the end of the day, maybe in their weight stays, you know, you don't see any effect of anything on a scale, but you see it in, in their energy, their recovery, those kinds of things, because they're not paying attention to making sure that they're taking in the fuel close enough to, to their exercise. And so that's something we talk about a lot. And again, just try to provide so that they don't have to think about it because they, they do have a lot to do. I mean, they, they aren't professional runners, they're students and some of them in very difficult majors. And so if we can provide that and make things easier for them, you know, we absolutely want to do that. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's an important time too. It's awesome that you guys can provide that, make that easier, but it's also showing what right looks like so that, you know, when there does come a day, cause there will come a day when they have to make their own food that hopefully they have some sort of like, okay, well, this is what I used to eat and how can I kind of recreate that on my own? So it's, it's a great period of kind of teaching them nutrition as well. If you can. I think you hit on something great. Like we, I always used to say, it's really just not that hard. Just eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full and eat mostly healthy things and don't restrict anything. But it is a little bit harder than that because at the high mileage that some of the athletes are running, you can you can definitely be full before you have enough calories in. And so, like, so planning that out is difficult. Um, you know, and, and some people obviously have struggles in high school where maybe their body isn't as great at now recognizing when they're still hungry or when they're full or those kinds of things. And so it would be this perfect world of 
that worked, you know, just eating your hungry stuff when you're full, everything, moderation, go with that. I still think that's the best. We do, we do talk about that a lot. I still think that is the best advice for the most part, eating your hungry stuff when you're full, eat, you know, from all the food groups, don't make any food bad where you, you know, that's bad. I'm not going to eat that. You know, don't do any of that stuff, but it is when you're training at a really high level, it has to be a little more intentional than that at times. Yeah. And it, I, I agree with you completely, Lori. And I think it's, it really is an and, you know, it's, it's how can we be intuitive and make it easy and bring a little bit of intention so that we don't unintentionally go down the wrong path, you know, because they're, as I'm sure you know, in your many, many years of being involved in sport, as well as being a coach, you know, so many female athletes do struggle with disordered eating or menstrual irregularities and then bone injuries because of it and mental health injuries because of it. And it can just really, you know, that this is a huge thing that I preach about all the time because it's, it's so prevalent, especially at the collegiate level. I mean, there's, it's hard to really get uh, research around this, but they say things like one out of three women in collegiate sports are suffering from some sort of eating disorder, disordered eating, menstrual irregularity. So that's like, you know, look to your left, look to your right. Somebody is struggling with this. And so preaching all of those things that you just were is so good, but it's also like bring a little bit of intention so that we don't have that, that person who doesn't even know that they're falling into that trap, right? There's, there's people who know they're, they're in that trap and, and some people who choose to, which is something that needs to be addressed. But then there's also that athlete because she's young and she's 18 and she doesn't know better. And she just, you know, is a freshman and she's so busy and she doesn't, you know, know how to pick the right foods at the dining hall and she's running 70 miles a week. And it's like, bam, suddenly six months into her you know, freshman year, we've got a problem. And so it's really, I think it's both, right? It's fostering that great relationship with food of don't restrict anything, eat when you want, but then also like, Hey, practice is at two 30. So you need to try and eat by noon. No, you know, and like encourage that too. So it seems like uh, your team has kind of really got that going pretty strong. I think it's definitely a balancing act on a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of things to adjust to for a freshman in college, particularly. And again, we harp on sleep. And so, you know, you're sleeping in some roommate, you're sleeping somewhere else, you're eating totally different manner than what you did in high school. It's, it, I think we have amazing dining halls and the fueling stations are great, but there's still fueling stations and dining halls. It's not cooking dinner at home. And, you know, and because our, because of the way we do it with the dining hall being free to all of our athletes on the roster, even you know, walk-ons or non-scholarship, most everyone eats there. So they don't cook at home. Like it, I think it used to be that we had more athletes that did cook at home because, you know, you were buying dinner either way, kind of, you know, and now it's okay. So I think it's really cool. And it's helped us a lot to have that dinner program where we can help educate them while they're eating. The nutritionist is there. You know, we put little things there about, you know, the nutrition facts on things. I don't like people to get too into that, but it is, I, I think it's important to have some understanding of it. You know, we, I think we are very careful. We don't, you know, unless it's a physical at the beginning of the year or something like that, we don't weigh, we don't want people, you know, counting calories or trying to figure that out. However, if they're like, you know, yeah, yeah mileage has gone up and they're losing weight, then you have to figure that out somehow <laughs> or other way, you know, or, or, or if you're not running at all because you're hurt and you can't do anything and you know, it's different than what happens when you're running 60 miles a week or 50 miles a week, you know, you know they're, they're, and that's where I think like the nutritionists and people with a little bit more background in that than I have come in because those are tricky things to navigate around because I really don't want people 
focusing on weight or calories or any of those things. But on the other hand, like sometimes if you don't focus on it at all, someone's lost a percentage of their body weight that you don't know. And then, then you're digging out of a hole. So, you know, I think it's, it, most of that comes through sports medicine and nutrition, though. I think it's important, you know, for the coaches to be able to have those conversations, but it not be coming from, you know, the, the, the main part of that is not coming from a coach because I think that can cause problems. But although, you know, the way I think I coach and particularly I know a lot of the of women at my level coaching do, it's very relationship based. So it's not like you're not going to have those conversations. You know, they're going to have conversations with you and you want them. You know, you want to know what people are thinking and be able to help them navigate through that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And another point you bring up is something I, I usually call it like with calories. I talk about the difference between calorie obsession versus calorie awareness. And, you know, so educating yourself and having some sense of awareness about calories and nutrition facts and what your body needs, that's a really can be a really good thing. But when we're obsessing about it or just misinterpreting that information, if we think that 500 calories is too much, you know, we're misinterpreting that. So it's, you know, we don't want to get obsessive about it, but how can we be aware and then interpret it to our needs? And so there's, there's a finesse to that for sure. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, I'm a dietitian, so I'm going to say that's where dietitians come in and help out is to help you figure that out, educate you, make sure you, you are interpreting the information for what your body needs and what works best for you. So. Yeah. And again, helpful for us to have people that have a little bit more of an experience in that. But I think that, you know, and, and again, I've been doing this a long time and there was, you know, kind of that time period where a lot of, you know, American households, I mean, just people trying to do what they thought was right. were like really restricting fat and oh yeah, diet, and people just were thinking like, that's the healthiest thing to do. And so I think people still were coming in with like, you know, I don't want, I want to keep it very, very low fat. And it's like, well, that's, that causes a lot of the energy problems. And I think that like just educating people on those kinds of things and then having them, you know, it's not bad to look at labels as kind of like having, like you said, having an awareness of it, just not. And I think that's a great way to say it. So I think, you know, you want people to, this is, I mean, eating right and doing the nutrition piece of this correctly is a big part of people running at a high level. And so you want them to have an awareness of what that means without overthinking it. Yeah. For sure. So, you know, what I'm getting from you, Lori, is is this really, you know, make make nutrition easy, that fueling concept. You're you've hit on the word energy multiple times, how important it is for your girls and, and everybody on your team to have energy to fuel and then to utilize those resources, you know, that reach out and and have that help if and when you need it. And I don't know if this is too pushy of a question, but in your nearly almost 30 years of being on the staff there, I'm sure you've had to have some really difficult conversations that has, without, of course, being too specific. I mean, have you ever had somebody who had to be kicked off the team or, or whose running career was cut short due to their issues with nutrition and not getting enough energy in? I think best way to answer that is I don't know if their career, like, running long-term in their life has had have to be cut short. But yes, yeah, sometimes we've had to, and again, way better in the last 15 years than the first 15 years I was here and how we can handle that. Again, we have the sports psych. So, so, you know, a lot of times with, you know, eating and figuring out fueling and energy, the nutritionist is enough. But if there's something deeper, figuring out the fueling or the energy and it's, you know, it, it's a, it comes from the mental health side, then our sports psych people are really good too. I will say this, however, to like, you know, colleges are not and cannot be eating disorder clinics. 
And so if somebody requires a level of care that is above what a university can provide, then I think there are some really good places out there now that allow people to try to hold on to being an athlete as well when they come out of it. But yeah, I think it's, it's um, having the sports psych people in place that we have is, has been really helpful with that too, to help understand when someone needs more than a dietitian, like they know what to do. They, they need help getting to be able to do that. So yes, I mean, I think that um, I think I've been doing this a long time and I think anybody who says they've done this in a women's sport, not just cross country or track and field for a long time and haven't seen some of that is probably either just been incredibly lucky or, or not being honest, but yeah, totally ignorant <laughs> or yeah, or not, or not, not understand. But yeah, we're very adamant about getting people more help when they need it. And, and I hope, and hopefully I believe here we have the things in place to do that. But I do think that it is, you know, we always want to support anyone that might have any type of issue, but sometimes that can't be done within the confines of a, of a college program. Yeah, I appreciate the way that you said that of, you're, you know, you're going to help, you've got these resources, you're going to do everything, but there's a certain level of, wait, this is a college athletic program who just won a national title, you know, like this is a big, this is a big deal and you're here to compete and you're here to show up at a hundred percent. And this might not be, you know, the place to really solve all those issues. This is a place to, to show up and, and perform and have fun while you're doing it, but you know, to stay focused. And and I appreciate you saying that because I think I just want to express not, I don't want to say just because so many people have it, like I said before, look to your left, look to your right, somebody's struggling. That doesn't make it okay. It actually means maybe this isn't the place for them right now, or they need extra help. They need extra support because it's so much better without these issues. Your strongest athletes are, aren't the ones struggling with these issues. Yes. And I, I mean, I think it's important that, you know, we talk, we want to take care of every athlete in the program to the best of our ability. And if yeah, somebody requires more care than we can provide, we're going to do everything we can to assist, you know, them and their family to get that. But I think too, that there's a, there's something, you know, we work really hard at getting the young athletes coming in to understand people are going to look different in this sport because it is incredibly disheartening to, I know myself and many other college coaches to see sometimes people at the younger ages, particularly competing at this really, really high level, when again you don't know anything by looking, but when it look when there looks to be some type of obvious eating issue, and uh, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year olds are saying like, thinking that's what I need to look like to run fast, and getting to college with that kind of baggage of the body image part of what you know a good distance runner looks like, and we just try to point out all the time that people look very different and your then body are different. And so that's why our focus is always on fueling effectively and having the energy available, not at all what your body looks like. They know the joke is, well, there'll be, you know, pull up contests here and abs and I'm like, and my abs look like this. Like, I don't care what your abs look like. Are they functional? <laughs> are they helping you run? Are we doing the things that these things will be able to help you run fast? It's cool. If you can, you know, that people want to look a certain way and it's not, it's so hard, to, particularly on the women's side, I think, to get people away from how someone looks to how their body is functioning and, you know, having the energy you need, having the fuel you need, those kind of things to be successful. And like, you know, to say that, that, that you know, power and body, like that's not part of this sport is obviously not true. Distance running is a sport where, you know, that 
you know, you're be having the uh, available energy and power and those things is important and doing those things is important, but it isn't about your bodies can look very different and still be competing at a very high level. And I think that's something a lot of like the younger, like high school athletes don't necessarily understand. But when you look at the collegiate level and the pro level, I think you see that most of the people that have long careers and can be at the top for a long period of time are stronger and, you know, and more durable and, and have enough energy available to do that. And so we just talk about that a lot. It's not about, you know, getting thin and running fast for sure. And I think that in high school, sometimes that comes across. I think, the, again, as things have gone and more information is available, more high schoolers realize that's not the way to go. Great. Because for us, like recruiting wise and stuff, it's getting so much better. But I think, you know, at the high school level, it's just hard that a lot of people didn't have don't have nutritionists or coaches right. through this. And so they don't understand and they just think, that, oh, this kid's working so hard. And our younger minds are more susceptible to go down, you know, that path. So and I also think sometimes with young kids, the whole like, oh, they're super dedicated and they work out all day if I let them is like a, people think that's a good thing. And some that's a sign, you know, obviously like that you, it can be, you can have eating issues or you can have over-exercising issues too. And so I think, you know, saying like, doing the appropriate amount of training is good. Wanting to do twice as much as the appropriate amount of training is not necessarily a good thing. I'm really glad you brought up that piece about exercise as well and how much training you're actually doing because that's another trend that just really goes parallels where people fall in the the eating traps is very often with the overtraining traps as well. And sometimes at the same time simultaneously, and it's just like, oh my God. (laughs) So I'm so glad that you brought that up. And I actually love how you also highlighted just focusing on function, right? It, It really doesn't matter how you look. So if, if you don't have a six pack, doesn't matter. If you do have a six pack, doesn't matter as long as you're doing the function of, in your case, being a great cross country and track and field runner. And so I think that might be the title of this podcast episode is fuel to function, (laughs) fueling for your function and what you're trying to do there. So this is, this is really great, Lori. Um, We'll have to wrap this up in just a few minutes, but I did just want to ask you really quickly, how awesome is it, or maybe it's not asking, maybe I'm just saying, how awesome is it that you got to coach your own daughter to an NCAA 5k championship title that is just amazing yeah it was it was um just really coaching her throughout college was a a much better experience than I thought it would be (laughs) yeah again I've said this a lot but in high school if I had had to coach her when she was younger it would not have worked out well at all and then then developed into a great leader for us and so you know somebody who became really serious about what she was doing and and so it was awesome I will say I don't know if you've heard any of like her interviews or anything, but um, the nutrition side being coaching as long as I did and seeing people struggle with eating issues and fueling issues. I worked, we did, we made nothing like nothing was off limits in the house. Every we, you know, and I never wanted her to think like any foods were bad or, but I I overdid it and (laughs) she doesn't know. She's learning how to cook healthy things and make me, a bigger part of her professional career, but she does, she, in college, she ate a king size Kit Kat the night before almost every race. And it drove me crazy. I'm like, hey, can't we come up with something else? Or how about like, <laughs> a regular size Kit Kat, you know? Something like that. But at the same time it worked, right? So I, I think you did the exact right thing as not just a coach, but as a mother, I really do think you did the right thing because it's, you know, it's up to her to figure out 
hey, when when do I think, you know, is this Kit Kat helping me or at what point do I feel maybe it's it's not so much and don't. But, you know, like I said, it worked at that time. And as she's now uh, stepping into her professional career, she can, you know, figure out what's what's going to help me recover better and things like that. So that's awesome. You, you did a great job both as as a coach and a mother with her with her fueling. And now that she's, you know, on her own now, per se, I guess that's where she'll she'll take it from there and figure out the rest. All right, fans, I'm super bummed to tell you that our connection kind of went a little wonky at the end of this podcast. And unfortunately, the final few minutes of this conversation are unable to be aired just because of the the connectivity. It, it The audio was not good. So I'm so sorry, but I just want to say thank you to Lori again for having this awesome conversation. And I do have her answers to our rapid fire questions that we always do at the end of the podcast. So when it comes to Coach Lori, if there was one food she could eat every single day for the rest of her life and never get sick of it, it was pizza and specifically that Hawaiian pizza, throwing some pineapple on there. She loves that. Her favorite sport to participate in herself is tennis, but she loves being a spectator for college basketball, which obviously makes sense at the university that she's at. And a fierce fit and fueled female athlete that she wants to give a shout out to is actually one of her daughter's training partners out in Flagstaff. It's Rachel Schneider. She just feels that she is really a great role model and an inspiration and somebody who's helping out all the newer and younger girls on their training team. So shout out to Rachel. And again, thank you everybody for listening. Sorry for our little hiccup right at the end here. And thank you, Coach Lori, for sharing all this awesome information. See you in the next episode. I really hope you enjoyed that episode and thanks for listening. But before I let you go, I have free resources that you can have access to right away, right now, so that you can start fueling your body as a fierce, fit, and fueled female athlete. First, I have your Red S Recovery Race. If you've ever wondered if you might be struggling with Red S, curious to learn more, or know you have Red S and are looking to recover fast, then you can head to www.riseupnutritionrun.com slash red S and download the Red S Recovery Race. See how you place and figure out the next steps to recovery. Plus, while there, I have a few other great resources for you, including three nutrition secrets that every elite athlete swears by and access to our private Facebook community, Female Athlete Nutrition. So again, to gain access to all of this, head to riseupnutritionrun.com slash red S that's backslash R E D S. And you can gain access and get the help you need fast. Too many girls and women and female athletes struggle with nutrition, but you don't have to any longer become fierce, fit and fueled links in the show notes, and I'll see you next time.